Welcome back to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm Nick Skinner and I'm joined by a relative newcomer to Emerging Cricket and first-time co-host, Ira Gorawara. Hi Nick, thank you for having me today. Ira, uh, you've spent a lot of your life in Hong Kong, but you're currently uh, residing in the US. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself for uh, for Emerging Cricket listeners. Yeah, so I'm born and brought up in Hong Kong. Um, I've just moved to the US last September. I'm at, currently studying at UCLA, um, but kind of been um, around the cricket scene growing up um, in Hong Kong and now kind of getting into the U.S. cricket scene as well. So super excited to be contributing to emerging cricket. Yeah, and uh, fans of uh, either Hong Kong cricket or indeed uh, minor league cricket will probably be familiar with your brother, Adit Gorawala. But uh, yeah, good good to have you on board, uh, keeping an eye on things in Hong Kong. And uh, just on that, uh, the, the reason we've got you on this week, uh, Hong Kong recently has hosted a women's quadrangular series against Tanzania, Nepal, and Japan, and Hong Kong came out on top. First outing for the women's team since their unsuccessful uh, qualification uh, campaign uh, in, in the Asia region, and they, they came out looking pretty strong. They Obviously, they won the tournament. They beat Tanzania in the final. Tanzania, of course, you know, looking across the Africa region, they're one of the better women's associates over there, and typically we, we would kind of think of the top-level African associates as being a bit bit ahead of Hong Kong because Hong Kong are well behind teams like uh, UAE and, and Thailand in the Asia region. So yeah, a, a pretty good uh, pretty good performance overall from Hong Kong. What, what are your sort of uh, top level thoughts? Yeah, kind of on that, you know, Hong Kong also um, took down Nepal in the second game. And there was pressure for Hong Kong because they had, um, Nepal had beat Hong Kong in the team's most, two most recent meetings, you know, August, in August earlier this year in Malaysia. So I heard, you know, the um, women's coach kind of say the atmosphere between the team is looking a lot lighter, less pressure on themselves. And that kind of led Hong Kong to even beat Nepal in their second game with um, their second hat trick, actually. Ikra Sahar had the second hat trick for Hong Kong after um, Hong Kong skipper carried Chan had one in Hong Kong's first outing. So that was pretty impressive. I think they were really impressive with the ball and on the field throughout the tournament. Yeah, Carrie Chan uh, grabbed a hat-trick against Japan, and uh, it's not actually the first time she's taken a hat-trick. She got one against China a couple of years ago in the East Asia Cup uh, to, to win the game in a very exciting match. So um, Carrie Chan still doing the business for Hong Kong, ex-skipper, real veteran of the team now, but uh, you know, nice to see some other players coming through. Tell us a bit about uh, Ikra Sahar. Yeah, so she, Ikra Sahar is actually only 21 years old, um, but she contributed big with the ball, picked up nine wickets um, over the T20i series. Um, and yeah, she actually had three wickets in three of the four games. So just 21 years old, I think big potential for her. Also took a hat-trick against Nepal in the second game. Um, I watched a bit of her bowling. I think she kind of struggles against the left-handers, but against the right-handers, I couldn't see. Like She's kind of un- unplayable from what I could see. Um, so a lot of potential for Hong Kong on the bowling end, for sure. And yeah, just just running through the uh, the overall results. Um, as, as as we said, they won all of their matches. Uh, beat Japan in the first match. Kerry Chan getting that hat-trick. Uh, beat Paul, as you alluded to, thrashed them really, bowled them out for 56 and then chased it down very comfortably. Uh, and then beat Tanzania in the last group stage game before uh, beating them in the final. Good campaign overall. Uh, Mariko Hill, very good with the bat. Tash Myers also in the runs. Um, you know, those two, they've kind of underperformed uh, in, in some tournament play. Um, so it's, it's nice to see them finding some runs because, you know, you think to the Asian qualifiers, they, they weren't really in great form and I don't know, it just seems like <laughs> they're hitting a really good patch of form in a tournament 
you, you alluded to the pressure, maybe, you know, the, the, the spotlight's off, there's, there's nothing really at stake. Do you think it's, it's maybe a situation where um, they've got the skills, but uh, in, in a situation where there is less pressure, they're more able to display it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously playing at home is a big thing. Playing at the Hong Kong Cricket Club is a big thing for them. You know, um, Hong Kong Cricket Club hasn't been played at for years. Um, last time, I think was in 2018, I want to say. Um, but yeah, definitely the pressure kind of a little bit off Hong Kong, but I think playing at home was a big thing for them. And as you talk about Mariko Hill, I think her all-rounder kind of capabilities has sh- uh, shined at this tournament. You know, in the first game against Japan, she had 40 runs and then she had a fifer in, I think, the finals. So she really was kind of contributing on all ends of the field for Hong Kong the, in the series. Yeah, five for two uh, in in the final in ten balls. She was on a hat trick twice. That's um that's that's pretty tidy bowling effort to wrap up the Tanzania tail and and that bowling performance actually probably is what won the game for them there because you know she, she helped bowl them out for eighty odd and then uh, Hong Kong you know they got over the line eventually but they they made hard work of it and you know the Tanzania bowlers. They were difficult to put away. Um, so, yeah, that, that bowling performance key for from, from Mariko in the final. Yeah, and just before that, they kind of had, you know, kind of dress rehearsal because um, the Tanzania and Hong Kong, because at that point they had both um, qualified to the finals. So the two played each other the day before the finals. And Mariko Hill had 66 runs off 49 balls, and I think she had about 10 boundaries. So she really contributed, you know, batting wise in the in the um, third match, and then with the ball on in the finals. So that was really impressive. And you mentioned the Hong Kong Cricket Club. That's a, a very storied venue in uh, Hong Kong cricket history. I, I guess you've probably spent a bit of time around the venue. Just tell our listeners a bit about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong Cricket Club. I it's kind of like a, a second home for us. I mean, me, my whole family are <laughs> there all the time. Uh, my brother plays a lot of his games there for the, he plays for the um, Hong Kong Cricket Club, one of the teams. So uh, we go there for his games like every week. We're all, always there, you know, there's all these facilities. So definitely very familiar with the venue. And yeah, it's awesome. I think the men's team doesn't play there very often just because of the smaller boundaries um, and the disproportionate boundaries. So they use a mission road ground, which is kind of further out um, in Hong Kong. But I've, it's, it's, beautiful place and i think it attracts a lot of because it's a like a member kind of membership basis so there's a lot of uh, members that come out and just watch and there's a great kind of viewing area um the up and upstairs the downstairs there's a pool nearby so it kind of makes for a really good place for families to come hang out enjoy some good cricket so i think it was awesome that they had the cricket club um available for the women to use yeah i've seen some photos of it it's a it's located at a pretty spectacular location because you can sort of see this hill slash mountain going down with a forest all over it sort of on, on one side of the boundary yeah exactly you know it's, it's in a great area in hong kong itself and the club itself and they've just renovated as well so there's a lot of you know new facilities um, everything's kind of upgraded so i think it was perfect for um it to kind of be back in action after five years i think the last time was 2018 when they hosted the men's east asia cup um at the cricket club but so it was a long time coming but i think that was pretty cool yeah, good to see it back. And just looking at the other teams, I mean, Tanzania, yeah, playing away from home, I still think they're a little bit disappointing. They probably could have won at least one of the games against Hong Kong. I wonder if if you think maybe they were just not used to the, the different tracks here compared to, you know, they play an awful lot of cricket at Gahanga in Rwanda and, and, and a fair bit at home as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I know that they kind of, their batting was kind of subpar in a lot of the games I saw you know that there were they were significantly below kind of the expected um 
run their expected totals in quite a few of the games. So I would assume it's kind of playing away from home because, like you said, they do get to play a lot out there. Um, their opening batsman, you know, Som Mtai, if I don't want to butcher her name. But um, she when she got going, I mean, they were able to get their total to somewhere. But when she kind of was slower to start, the the team kind of, you know, didn't get off to a very good start. Um, so I think she was really big for them, but in games she couldn't perform. I don't think the team was able to kind of compensate for that. Yeah, Matai, you know, the top scorer for Tanzania, only batter to, well, the only batter to hit a six, uh, to hit double figures in boundaries. Um, pretty much, yeah, dominant in terms of all the stats for, for Tanzania. The big disappointment, I would say, is, is Fatima Kabasu, who, um, you, you know, the skipper, She's been one of their best batters for a long time, and, and she had a really dismal tournament. I think maybe – did she even get to double figures? Mm, I don't think so. She had I, – I, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, so um, that doesn't help when your, your best player is uh, in wretched form. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, still some, some good signs. Uh, their, their bowling was, as I said, very tidy um, in that final – Hong Kong made very tough work of a, of a small target. Um, most of the bowlers were, you know, going at under sort of four and over in, in the economy rate. So, yeah, that, that was good good signs, but uh, the batting just couldn't stand up. Yeah, and in both of um, Tanzania's games against Hong Kong in the finals and the one right before, they actually had, I think, eight bowlers in the um, third match. And then in the finals, they had nine uh, nine bowlers, you know, bowling against Hong Kong. So that was an interesting decision by Kibasu to have to experiment with that many bowlers. I guess in the third match, you couldn't find an answer to Hong Kong's openers in Mariko Hill and Natasha Miles. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting decision. I don't know with playing that many bowlers in one game. It's something you see a fair bit in the women's game. I think that a lot of the players can do both disciplines and, and, and they will rotate a lot. Um, I'm, especially more in the associate side of things, uh, you, you do see more specialization, you know, especially at the top end of, of full member women's cricket. But yeah, especially in, in women's cricket at associate level, there are, there are a lot of all-rounders. Yeah. I mean, Mariko Hill herself, like one of Hong Kong's mm-hmm. best with the ball, best with the bat, and, you know, uh, she's an all-rounder as well. Yeah. I mean, Carrie Chan was a batter a, a long time ago, but she seems to have uh, given that away and, and focusing on her bowling now. Yeah. Hong Kong was also missing uh, Betty Chan. I think she played two of the games against Japan and Nepal, but I think Allison was in, came in place of her. So she was also a big miss for Hong Kong, mm. but I'm not completely sure why. I just know that she was out. She was unavailable for two of the mm. games. And yeah, looking to Nepal, the first outing for Indubama as as captain, uh, taking over from Rabina Chetri, who was in the role for a decade. Um, who yeah, she's she's sticking around as a player. Um, Bama really had a very forgettable tournament with bat and ball, and uh, you know you would hope if she's been given the responsibility of captaining. You know, they're looking to her to be, you know, stepping up as a senior player. And, you know, she's shown flashes in the past, but in this tournament, she couldn't she couldn't perform with bat or ball. And, yeah, not not, not the best outing uh, to, to start your tenure, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not at all. I mean, against Hong Kong, she was out for a duck. Um, she was part of Ikra Sahara's uh, hat trick. I mean, she's the third wicket in that, um, in that spell. But, yeah, not impressive, I mean, for her as a skipper. But I think someone who was impressive with the bat was uh, Sitarana Magar, who's actually, I think, Nepal's um, 
leader in like she leads both the batting and bowling records for Nepal if I'm not wrong but I do think one thing for her was that she played in the Hong Kong all-star series actually earlier this month so maybe it's a thing about being acclimatized to the environment in Hong Kong it was a different ground but her um, 43 runs in in Nepal's uh, first match against Tanzania was pretty impressive yeah, I mean, she's she's been a great performer for a long time for Nepal. But again, it's it's one of these things. Um, so many of these women's teams have you know one or two very good you know world class players, and they just don't don't have um, the the backup for it. I I wonder if Sankita Rai, did you see much of her performance? Because she did get uh, a five wicket haul against Japan, who were yes the weakest team, but. Um, you know that that takes some doing. Yeah, that that was good. She had she had a five for just four overs as well, and that was just six runs during that. So I think that was pretty impressive. And it was she also um had Sika Sumi out, who was looked like Japan's only you know batter in form. Uh, so that was she also was good with the ball for Nepal. Yeah, and I, I guess jumping over to uh, the the Japan uh, performance, it was very disappointing. Um, I, you know, we saw them play at the Women's uh, East Asia Pacific Qualifier, and they were sort of in the middle there. They were between Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu, who were the best teams by a mile. And then there was, um, you know, Fiji and, and Samoa, who who were really struggling. And Japan was kind of in between the two, and, and you know, we weren't quite sure where what to think of them. But, uh, yeah, looking at their performances here, I, I guess it, it shows partly the gap in quality between the regions and and there's just so much more depth in the Asia region compared to EAP but also yeah i mean you'd think they kind of underperformed i mean they they really didn't they didn't really uh, look like they were ever in any of the games and nobody really stood out yeah yeah and that first game against hong kong i mean they had 16 extras which kind of made things obviously a lot easier for hong kong um after they also only put up i think they only put up about 79 runs um, so with 16 extras and you're, you're, you know, Hong Kong chasing, chasing 79 runs, things were made a lot easier. And then 40, 40 runs and 40 and 21 with Hong Kong, from Hong Kong's opening bats, it was just too easy for Hong Kong with that kind of bowling. Yeah. And then, you know, they bowled out for 28 by Tanzania in a, a very comprehensive win by over 100 runs and, and um, lost twice to Nepal, uh, once in group play and then uh, once more in the third place playoff. They just, just never looked like they were ever going to threaten, um, which is disappointing because, you know, you look across to their men's team, which is making a lot of progress, and the, the women, they just they seem to have stagnated. You know, they they haven't really pushed on uh, anywhere really in in any kinds of qualifying ladders or, or bilaterals or any of these tournaments that they appear at. They they just sort of they're always kind of nowhere. Mm-hmm, yeah, and you know their their batting performance as well, like not only with the ball but with the bat. Um, not many people could get above, I want to say, like in the single digits. So there wasn't much promise from them, I would say, on either end, you know, either bowling or batting end. So I wonder what, you know, what's what's going on, what's going wrong for them. Yeah, back to the drawing board for them, I guess. Um, looking, looking to Hong Kong and looking to the future, I mean, what's next on the schedule for Hong Kong? I, I think the women's Asian region is a bit threadbare at the moment uh, over the next year or so, but uh, you know, do, do you have any idea about what, what they're doing next? I'm not entirely sure for the, um, for what, if there's anything set in stone just yet. I know the men also just came off of the um, Asia cup, quali- world cup qualifiers in the Asia region. Um, and I think it's kind of just, 
you know, from what I'm hearing, it's just training for the men right now. I know the women um, do have a new DLA Piper Women's Pathway program. I don't know if you've heard about it. No, actually, I haven't. Yeah, so um, Cricket Hong Kong has kind of partnered with DLA Piper, which is like a law firm providing legal services to clients. And, but they focus a lot on inclusivity and equality to kind of create opportunities for young talent. So Cricket Hong Kong has partnered with them. And essentially, there's this, they've entitled this the DLA Piper Women's Pathway Program. And it's a collaboration between the two to bring forth the next generation of Hong Kong women's cricketers. Um, and basically, they've, they formed the Cricket Hong Kong women's under 16 and under 19 squads to kind of compete on a yearly basis. And they've formed this like stream of players into local representative and trying to get these girls into the international women's team eventually. So one of the girls who's actually on, um, she didn't get to play, but she was on Hong Kong's team for this series, Maya Gardner. She's 17 years old. Um, she just, it was her first time playing, you know, in an international squad. So she was part of this whole program and she spoke very highly of it. I saw an interview that she did with CHK. And she um, got to play in like the All-Star series, which was also, you know, created by this, this it was part of this like pathway program, the Hong Kong All-Star series. Um, so yeah, it was basically Hong Kong's best cricketers, and through that, she got called up to uh, be part of this uh, the squad for this series. So I think it's pretty cool what they've set up to kind of accelerate the growth of women's cricket in Hong Kong, um, and hopefully that can you know take the younger girls far, and we can see what's kind of in store for the girls in Hong Kong. Yeah, that actually, I mean, I, I, I presume that kind of fits in as well with the fair break stuff, which is a lot of it based in Hong Kong and. Um, you know, the All-Stars, it's been going on a couple of years now, actually. I, I've, I've seen it's the Bauhinius Stars. Up and the Jade Jets. Yes. And it's kind of a, a bit like the Netherlands um, sort of a pro series where they, they play a kind of interim squad match between the, the a lot of the fringe players and the, the senior players on split into two teams. And, and it's um it's a good outing for the players, but, it, you know, you want more players to be on the field and, and providing a high-level competition. So this um this DLA Piper initiative sounds promising and um, it will be interesting to see how it sort of feeds into the, into the fair break opportunities as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's awesome. I mean, Maya Gardner, this girl who, I, who spoke about the DLA Piper's program was only 17 years old and although she didn't get a game i mean it's pretty cool where the trajectory is looking for her and for players of her age well and uh, that's another thing associate cricket generally but you know hong kong you know finding that pathway of talent you know rely at the moment the team is kind of reliant on, on senior players like you know mariko hills and tash miles and Kenny chance whereas you know going going to the next level and, and finding um, finding players who are ready to come into the team after you know good performances at youth cricket, having having that youth pathway is really important. And uh, you know you look to somewhere like the UAE where so many of their their good players are coming through uh, from the youth from the youth setup, and and that's been their great strength over the last sort of year eighteen months or so is um, is finding talent both on the men's and women's side is just young girls and boys uh, who've who've picked up a cricket bat and learnt their cricket there and and. It's, it's nice to see Hong Kong uh, doing the same and, and trying to put in the, the, the pathway to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Hong Kong does a great job with their like club cricket scene. I mean, young guys are getting to play a lot of games you know, over the weekends, but hopefully they can kind of reserve that time for the women as well. I know because for even just at the Hong Kong Cricket Club, I mean, there's young guys playing their Saturday, Sundays, but hopefully over time we can see, you know, girls playing as well um, over the weekends, not just, I mean, obviously both um, happening. 
Uh, but yeah, Hong Kong does a great job, I think, with their club cricket scene and how much, like, you know, how much, how many games there actually are throughout the season. So I think the trajectory looks good. Um, and obviously there's talent definitely there on the gir- girls and the guys side of it. Well, and one of the, I guess one of the things that Tim often talks about in terms of challenges for Hong Kong is just the lack of fields. And I was just thinking about the way that fits in to trying to, you know, that, that point you made about um, freeing up space for the for the women's side of things. Is that is that a problem? Like, to, I guess if you've got an extensive men's club set up, do the women sort of feel like they have to squeeze in wherever they can? Or, or is there... Or is there actually enough physical space in the city to, to play a women's tournament? I mean, the unfortunate truth is, yeah, I don't think there are um, enough grounds because, again, with HKCC, there's the boundaries are it's kind of it's too small of a ground for um, the guys to play, I guess. But they still I think it's great for the women's to um, be training on that ground, to be playing games on that ground. And the bigger ground is kind of a lot further out um, from, you know, the city area of Hong Kong. But if they, I think there's definitely possibility for for them to separate it because other clubs also do have their own grounds. I know the Kowloon Cricket Club has a, a great ground as well. So I think if if they try to work build those two, like kind of do at the same time, I think if they put the guys at the at the at the ground further away in Mission Road is what it's called, and the girls of the cricket club, I think that would make sense because obviously the guys would need maybe more space and kind of rotate it out or find a way to have the women also get a chance to play um, out at the bigger grounds. Well, and Kowloon is, uh, the the KCC is kind of more in the center of town, right? Yeah, so it's not in Hong Kong Island. It's kind of further out, but it's definitely not like in a secluded area at all. I would say Mission Road of the three are the um, is the furthest away. Uh, and HKCC is the most kind of near um, what like that, all the happenings in Hong Kong. And while we're on administrative stuff, I, I know it's a bit of a sensitive topic, so you don't uh, <laughs> just tell us as much as you feel comfortable answering. But I, I've noticed recently that uh, Hong Kong has changed, you know, their jerseys and and their sort of labeling to Hong Kong China, and I, I assume that has something to do with the political situation there but i i don't fully know the the logic behind it if, if you're able to explain that mm-hmm. yeah so without getting too much into kind of the political relations between hong kong and china um what i do know is that the sports federation and olympic committee had hong kong include china in its name um and they had to use you know hong kong china when participating in international sports and after that cricket hong kong like it's called now called cricket hong kong china limited um because kind of because of requirements from the this committee um and so i know that chk had a general meeting earlier this year i think it was in march where they proposed a resolution to change cricket hong kong's name to cricket hong kong china limited and then ever since then i've been seeing hong kong be referred to as hong kong china um you know in international games and i think only more recently i've seen icc and other governing bodies begin to do the same but yeah, that's what I kind of know in terms of how the process happened. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but then like it's a lot into the politics with China extending its rule over Hong Kong and all that. So that came through the um, Olympic Committee and and the Sports Committee in Hong Kong. Is that right? Yeah. So they told um, you know CHK to make that change, and CHK had a general meeting, and then this kind of you know it became approved. Okay. Thank, thanks for thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Moving across to the other big tournament happening at the moment, uh, we have the African Men's T20 World Cup qualifiers in Namibia underway. First day's play run and done, Namibia thrashed Zimbabwe 
Uh, Uganda won pretty handily as well over Tanzania. And Kenya kind of sort of uh, crawled to an unconvincing win over Rwanda. Just looking looking at the tournament here, you know, pre the tournament, uh, you would have thought uh, Zimbabwe and Namibia are the two, you know, the two teams to beat. Uh, Uganda maybe maybe a kind of a distant chasing third. Uh, nothing really dispelling that sense so far. Uh, Namibia, after winning 3-2 against Zimbabwe in a, in a warm-up series a couple of weeks ago, uh, they've continued that good form and uh, looked really dominant in in the match against Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Namibia absolutely cruised Zimbabwe in that first game. And um, obviously, the, Zimbabwe is a higher-ranked T20 team. But yeah, I think, you know, J.J. Smith was very effective for N- Namibia in that first game with his, uh, I think he had two wickets in his spell. And Zimbabwe just, I think their total was a bit under par with 132 runs. Obviously, Namibia chased that down in just 14 overs. Yeah, uh, well, Smith actually got uh, three wickets, but he took he took two quite early. And yeah, I mean, he's back in bowling after a, a long uh, injury break, uh, slash playing as a batter, slash not playing at all, um, with an ongoing knee injury. But he seems to be um, back to full fitness, and that that's a big boost for their bowling uh, stocks because he does just provide this kind of awkward back of a length. Um, you know, he hit he literally hit off stump. Um, but, to, to get one of his wickets, but uh, you know he he is that kind of just just difficult nagging bowler, not express pace. But you know with David Visa coming into the team, similar kind of uh, you know Visa bowls a lot of cutters, uh, a lot of variety, um, has a lot of lot of experience. You know we we, we saw uh, in, in his last over he really he really got his lines right. He bowled several Yorkers in a row to to snuff out the attempt at creating a bit of momentum at the back end for Zimbabwe while they were. Um, while they were setting the the target, uh, they ended up being just 132 for eight, which, as you say, Namibia got there under 15 overs. So yeah, I, I think David Visa coming back into this team, even though he didn't take any wickets, just having him there bowling really tightly made a big difference to the sort of team team effort with the ball for Namibia. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, Zimbabwe's under um, captain uh, Sikander Reza is a new captain for Zimbabwe. So I think that was a big thing for them as well. He was just named captain, I want to say, earlier this month for um, the T20 captain for Zimbabwe. So I think that was also, you know, obviously, despite them not winning, I think he also um, adds a lot to their team. And they're without, you know, their seamer Brad Evans, who's still, I think, recovering from splits um so i think you know Sikander Rizal will there will be a lot of eyes on him to see how he leads a team throughout the series and hopefully they secure a berth for the world cup next year yeah i mean raza yeah as as uh people who've been following zimbabwe uh, we'll, we'll probably know uh, he's been in great form for the last sort of year, 18 months um, with bat and ball. But how he handles the captaincy will be interesting because I, I wasn't I wasn't that impressed to be honest with his uh, bowling decisions. You know, made a couple of strange choices, pulled uh, Mizrahi out of the attack, uh, and, and brought on uh, Karl Mumba, who got absolutely pumped by by Nico Dutton. So I, I'm I'm not convinced about uh, Raza's tactics so far, but you know it's his first first game uh, in the position full time. He he's sort of filled in a couple of times, um, maybe a year or two ago. But yeah, I mean, just again looking at that Namibian bowling performance, Tangeni Lungameni don't want to overlook him. Um, he broke that partnership between the the Danger Man Raza and mm-hmm. Irvine, who were rebuilding. You know, I think they were. 70-ish after about 10 overs, uh, looking to looking to launch. Um, and then, yeah, Lungamani came in and, and, and got both of them out, which really just 
derailed the the chances of, of setting a tough total. But yeah, with the bat, I mean, <laughs> Nico Davin, some of those some of those sixes. I mean, yes, the Zimbabwean bowlers were sort of feeding him. Um, uh, Missouri Barney especially actually was was a bit disappointing. Kept kept giving him nice half trackers that he could just slap over <laughs> over his face and offside. Um, just he is just back from a right hand fracture, I, I I think. So he's actually oh, just come back to full fitness. Yeah. Right. So that um yeah that kind of explains that. But um yeah the the Namibian batting was very good, but also Zimbabwe's bowling really will need to improve because they bowl like that against. Uganda, I can see Uganda winning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, Uganda's batting performance against Tanzania was also very impressive. I mean, they had 100, they chased their 99 run total in 15 overs, 105 runs in 15.2 overs, which was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, an interesting point we can uh, sort of compare and contrast. Uganda started slowly, quite circumspect. Um, Tanzania bowled effectively in the power play, whereas <laughs> Namibia. Um, went out, you know, all guns blazing in the power play and then sort of cruised home. Uh, whereas Uganda, uh, they, they started in a circumspect manner and then uh, Riazad Ali Shah especially came in and just started blasting sixes basically and, and got them home uh, very quickly. And so that's sort of two contrasting ways of, of chasing a small total. Uh, Riazad Ali Shah also uh, took two wickets uh, in his bowling spell. He looked really fast, actually. I, I think he um he seems to have put on a yard of pace since since the last time I've seen him. But um you know that's a, a pretty effective uh, all round performance. Uh, two for fourteen and forty seven not out. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and the third game, um, you know, Kenya versus Rwanda. Uh, again, I think, like you mentioned, kind of an unconvincing win. Kenya had obviously Rwanda's. I want to say their rank like. 62nd so not the most not a win that they kind of could have had a much more dominating win i think for sure yeah i mean collins boyer at the top um i'm doing a bit of a veteran watch here a 42 year old collins boyer got a half century um so good for him uh unfortunately 43 year old frank nasubaga for uganda didn't make it onto the field uh, this this game uh fan favorite frank nasubaga but uh yeah um collins boyer Pretty good at the top there, maybe a little sluggish. Uh, he did manage to, to blast one into the practice nets, so that was that was good. Um, and then yeah, Fun Kareem, the wicketkeeper for Kenya, got them past the 150 mark, which was was enough. But you know, Oshid Tuyasengi, um with 50 for Rwanda, you know, if he stepped out a couple more overs, I, I think they probably could have got there because you know you saw the skipper uh, Clinton Rubagumia, he hit 12 off uh, off I think three or four deliveries with, with a couple of big blows at the end. So you know, if if Tuyasengi hadn't just gone down the track and and tried to you know bash Sharma into Volvis Bay, I think. You you know, he, he could have stuck around because he was looking um, very solid. He was rotating the strike effectively and also hitting the occasional dinger. So, uh, you know, uh, if, if only um, him and uh, Martin Akayezu also hit, hit a bunch of sixes. So, yeah, the, the ingredients are maybe there for Rwanda to spring an upset, but wasn't to be today. And their performances in... Um, especially in men's cricket, because their women's side is probably a bit further ahead th- than the men. But um, especially in, in in men's cricket, they they're just lacking one or two good batters to really hold everything together. And and today they couldn't quite put it together. But you know, I, I think they're a threat. And just, just jumping back to Uganda, actually, I, I think one interesting point is that they've got Craig Williams on board as a performance manager, and you know, a guy who's Played basically two decades of cricket for Namibia. He only retired, I think, a year or two ago. 
Um, so he'll have some pretty good intel uh, in, in terms of, uh, <laughs> you know, his ex-teammates. And he runs a, a cricket centre in Vintuk, so he should be, uh, a, yeah, a good boost in, in terms of uh, tactics as well as uh, coaching. Yeah, absolutely. I said he owns a large academy and a, like, a fully equipped cricket shop as well. So definitely he'll be important in kind of the technical um, technical you know skills and the batting, bowling, and fielding. I think that's pretty cool, the unique unique um, kind of cricket academy he owns and shop he owns, and it'll be interesting what he can bring from all that. Yeah, I wonder how the um, you know Namibians feel about that because he, he was such an integral part of the team for so long and, uh, you know, just now helping the opposition. That's... Yeah, I mean, his um, international career was very impressive. I mean, he had 26 centuries and 87 50s. Um, so I think he'll be, he, he was big for Namibia in their kind of campaign when he was back, when he was with the team. So it'll be interesting what he can kind of remember from his days and bring into the bring into the coaching side of the team um, now. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, <laughs> I guess from his perspective, uh, Uganda and Namibia will be uh, will be going through. And um, one other kind of point to keep an eye on is that uh, there's a lot of rain forecast over the weekend, so we could be losing a couple of days' play in the worst case scenario. In which case, they'll really uh, wreak havoc. Uh, with with both well in terms of the schedule, but also you know now that uh, Zimbabwe have lost their first game, if if a few more matches get washed out, uh, we could see someone like a Uganda sneak past, um, which which might actually be good for for the World Cup to have uh, a first time African team in it. But uh, yeah, hopefully it, it's 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 funny you know <laughs> Namibia they're basically perpetually in drought except whenever there's a cricket tournament it manages to rain so it's uh <laughs> yeah maybe we should just host more cricket in namibia yeah as you said though it will be cool for a, a uganda or a kenya to see um their way into the world cup and you know for for them to be you know kind of a dark horse in the tournament see what they can do what they can kind of cook up in um against the bigger nations um but obviously, obviously right now the favorites you know being zimbabwe and namibia to see if other teams can kind of step up um to the test yep so just summarizing the first day's play, Kenya, uh, 154 for two, beat Rwanda by 17 runs uh, with Rwanda 137 for four. Tanzania posted 99 for seven in their 20 overs, which Uganda chased uh, in 15.2 overs, two wickets down. And as we discussed, Zimbabwe posted 132 for eight, which Namibia got to uh, three wickets down in the 15th over with Nico Darwin hitting 89 of 45 deliveries. And the rest of the matches in the African qualifier will be playing uh, every day on ICC TV until the 30th of November. So uh, check that out if you get the chance um, and also if your interconnection can handle ICC TV because, um, yeah, there have been a lot of technical problems. And the matches tomorrow, Tanzania take on Zimbabwe and Kenya play Nigeria in Nigeria's first game uh, of the tournament. Both matches at United Ground. Uh, that'll be interesting to see whether Kenya, you know, whether sort of the tune-up against Rwanda uh, means that they'll be uh, in better form, or if Nigeria can maybe pull off a surprise because Nigeria is one of those African teams that you know they're, they're not quite there yet on the field, but in terms of uh, popularity back home, you know, they're building a whole bunch of cricket fields. Uh, they're, they're 
getting a lot of youth participation. So they're on the up uh, and, and hopefully they can put up a good fight. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll see Nigeria, you know, have their first game of the tournament. And they actually, um, they have won the West Africa trophy back in October of this year. So I feel like they're, you know, they're going to be looking to get onto a good start in tomorrow's match after that win. And I think they won um, all their games in that tournament by a pretty convincing amount. Um, in one of their games, I know they bowled out Sierra Leone for just 49 runs and chased that down in seven overs. So they were looking good with the bat and the ball in the West Africa trophy just last month. Um, so hopefully that momentum can come in for them um, tomorrow when they um, in their game against Kenya. Yeah, that West Africa trophy, um, they actually played against uh, Sierra Leone, as you mentioned, Ghana and Rwanda, and they beat Rwanda a couple of times, uh, including in the final. And they were very convincing against Rwanda. So, you know, you, you would think they're probably a little bit better than Rwanda and Rwanda only needed to be a little bit better to beat Kenya. So, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, maybe Nigeria have, have got a pretty good chance here against Kenya. Absolutely. And, you know, in that, um, in that game, the final against um, Rwanda, you know, they had their opening bat- batsmen didn't look great. I mean, they're both run out, but their middle order batsmen were looking good. I know Isaac Dunladi and Ridwan Abdul Karim had 44 and 39 runs each. Um, so their middle order, you know, can get going and their batsmen can, their opening batsmen can kind of get back into form. They're going to look good with the bat. Yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of interesting storylines coming up in this African qualifier. As we say, probably um, most likely Namibia and Zimbabwe, even, even with the, the defeat on the first day, but, um, you know, you never know what, what's going to happen with upsets. Uganda has definitely beaten Namibia in the past, and, and they're looking like they're in pretty good form. So, I mean, that would throw things wide open, wouldn't it, if Uganda beat Namibia, and then we've got a couple of rainouts. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. And finally, before we go, uh, an interesting little tournament here. Cambodia, I believe their first international men's tour. Uh, they're playing against Indonesia in Bali. Uh, at a ground which, um, from what we know, uh, the, the the scene in Bali, uh, there's a lot of help from some enthusiastic Australian expats who are, who are trying to um, get get cricket off the ground, as well as um, people a bit like uh, our own writer Aditya Sutresna, who, who you know Indonesians who've gone and studied in Australia and, and, and caught the cricket bug, and um, so the scene in Bali is is, is quite good and. Um, uh, it's nice to see Indonesia, you know, hosting international series there, and um, they're currently three-two up. The last two matches in the series, a seven-match series, will be played uh, tomorrow, so uh, Thursday, the twenty-third of November. And yeah, I mean, interesting to see Cambodia. A lot of new faces compared to their um, Southeast Asian games team which was surprisingly good uh, and you know a lot of there were some suggestions of uh, you know passports being handed out or you know other such shenanigans though we're not quite sure if any of that was ever proven so yeah it's interesting to see them come here with a, a new look team and uh, you know, Indonesia are, are leading the series but uh, it, it's been closely fought so far so entertaining little uh, little bit of play there and uh, you know, good good to see Indonesia hosting uh, hosting international cricket. Well, that just about covers the emerging cricket world this week. Be sure to jump across and check out Beginnings with uh, with Nate Hayes and Armin Patel discussing all things USA cricket um, as well. And of course, 
Uh, always check out the Emerging Cricket website with lots of good content there. Rod Lyle with his you know summary of the Netherlands performance of the World Cup is, is always good value. And yeah, thanks for joining us, Ira Gorowara. Uh, always nice to have a new voice on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick, for having me. Um, and yeah, keep an eye out for you know all things associate cricket coming up and for the next podcast next week. And of course, thanks to you listeners for tuning in as you always do to Emerging Cricket every week. Bye for now.